Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 142. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew. I'm a biology teacher from Massachusetts. And on the Life of the School podcast, I like to sit down with a panel of life science teachers and talk about issues that we're facing in our classroom. On this episode, we're going to tackle the word phenomena. And as we have been reimagining our curriculum over the past few years, the idea of using scientific phenomenon to hook kids into the work we're doing um, has been both exciting and it's also been kind of challenging. So today I'm looking to discuss this with my, uh, I'm going to call these my experts. This is my group of experts. I've, I've amassed this national panel of experts who are certainly going to know everything to know about phenomena. Uh, no, that no pressure on the group, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah. absolutely experts, experts with uh, grappling with mm. how to engage students in phenomena. And I think that would be a better way of, of doing that. So we always like to start with our goofy question. And so for this one, I'm going to ask, what is an area of science that you find cool, but you really don't understand uh, the underlying mechanism, and maybe nobody knows that, that mechanism. And joining us from Minnesota is Mark Peterson. Welcome, Mark. Hey, Aaron. It's uh, good. It's good to chat. So yeah. one of the one of the things that struck me a few years ago at a regional NSTA conference, thinking about odd phenomena uh, within aphids, they reproduce asexually, and they have the next generation fully formed inside of them. And then inside of them is another generation ready to rock and roll. I mean, nature is just wacky weird sometimes. And I think that's just a, an interesting phenomenon when we always think that things are so cut and dried. Life just throws you weirdness. Hmm. Yeah, I, immediately I think about, is it because of Wolbachia? Um, <laughs> I want to go get a bunch of aphids and I want to... <laughs> find out, right? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. I, I, think, I think I know a guy in Georgia okay, who can Georgia, find that yeah. out for us. We'll find out. I'll send him some, <laughs> I'll send him some, I'll send him some aphids, yeah. which probably is illegal to send across state lines. So, <laughs> yeah, no, like, let's, I won't let's do, not that. do I won't that. do let's that. I won't do that. Yeah. I we he can ship you some primers. Though. He could. Um, he, he, he could ship me some primers. <laughs> He's the guy. Yeah. All right. And joining us from Missouri is Jess Popescu. Welcome, welcome, Jess. Hi. Thank you. Um. So I am have been reading and I'm still reading because it's taking so long to. Um. It, it just it's taking so long to appreciate it. It is so good. The book Entangled Life by Merlin Sheldrake is all about fungi and it's incredible um he's a really good writer first of all but um it within the book he talks about how the mycelial network of fungi all underground shares not only like nutrients between trees like mother trees will provide like some of their saplings with more nutrients um through the mycelium but they can also share like poisons. Think of like black walnut trees so that nothing grows around them mm. Um, mm. and hormones. But then there's also evidence that they share uh, genetic material. Like they found plant cell nuclei within the mycelial network and like bits of RNA and DNA, which blow that blows my mind. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Fungi are weird. Yes. Yeah. I found out that you can, I found out that you can transform yeast like you can do transformation mm. and they'll pick up plasmids and express them. Mm. And I heard that and I was like, it threw out so much I know about biology. I was like, whoa, whoa no, 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 <laughs> no. You know, why can they do that? But they, they can, <laughs> yeah. you can put a plasmid in there. So that you say that and I got to go, it meshes with something else I know, but it deeply disturbed me the first time I learned that. <laughs> because yeah. you think about it, like it, when, when we get in our eukaryotic cells and you put in DNA, that's like a virus. Like that's, you can't have extra nuclear nuclear DNA. Why why do fungi get to do that? I, I don't know. It's it's craziness. Um, but yeah, you're right. They totally can do that. Why? <laughs> oh. All right, all right. And joining us from Ohio, uh, the the greatest of all substitute teachers, uh, Tanea Hibbler. <laughs> Welcome, Tanea. Uh, hey, you know, I I really tried to like. Maybe I'm just. Maybe the weather in Ohio is just making me not function correctly. There was hail yesterday. 
I don't know what's up with this. Um, so outside of uh, the weird weather in Ohio, um, I kind of think like, and maybe I'm taking this too far, but I think that as humans, that we have a lot of things wrong, you know, um, and that things change, you know, we, 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 our understanding of the world is constantly changing as technology changes and everything. And so, um, and then when we, and we, we think about ourselves in relationship to the rest of the universe, like we're nothing, right. We're just like a little blip. (laughs) Um, so for me, I think that there's more that we don't know than we do know. Um, and mm-hmm. I and I think because we always think about things in terms of what we know, like we're human beings, we think a certain way. And so we want to frame everything around that. I think that <laughs> perspective probably throws us off a lot of times. Maybe I'm thinking mm-hmm. too deeply. Um, no, I, I think it's good. Yeah, it's, those are good things. <laughs> So I just think we got it all wrong, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Aaron, I don't uh, know what you had planned, but I think we need to spend the rest of the podcast um, delving into humans that. Have, humans have everything <laughs> wrong. <laughs> Stop it. Restart the podcast. No, I just, what I just do is I go, all right, that's a future show idea that I'll bring in today. And that'll solve, like two months later when I'm out of ideas, it was like, uh everything we do wrong all right that's our theme <laughs> that's how i that's how i plan our podcasts um <laughs> yeah. so it's interesting because i actually wrote this out and then i wrote down on my qu- answer this is like the only thing i wrote first down when i sent out the show notes to everybody i sent this out and i sent it out on friday and what did science friday do that day i don't know if anyone heard the science friday this past friday they had a whole thing my question was why do we sleep why do we dream? What are the biological functions of sleeps and dream? You know, sleep, uh, sleep and dreaming. And this past Friday, um, they had a uh, a show that was all about how teenagers are not sleeping, mm. and they talked all about some of the biology of it. So, so it was a really and the like the 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 downsides of not sleeping. You know, like what what are the medical issues and the health? You know, the health, health impacts issues, and yeah, the. Yeah, uh, yeah, psychological impacts yeah. and that sort of stuff. It was very much through a teenager's lens. And, um, you know, while every single time I talk about teenagers, I feel like I'm Steve Buscemi holding a skateboard saying, <laughs> what are you cool kids up to? Uh, that's my, that is my, uh, that is the meme that comes to my head every time I talk about myself respect with respect to teenagers. Um, I do wonder, like, you know, I go to, I go to my doctor and he's like, are you sleeping enough? And I'm like, probably not. And I say a number and he's like, yeah, you should get this much sleep. And I'm like, yeah, great. But what's the biological reason for that? Like, why, why is there this, and is there like a bell curve variation? And, you know, I know there are chronotypes, but could I get some deeper understanding of that? And then can somebody explain to me the biology of why I dream? Like, why is it that I have these random people in my dream sometime? People I haven't seen in like weeks are suddenly in a dream and they're doing something weird. And like, why is it my brain putting those things together? And how is that integration work? And why, how does that help me like survive and reproduce? Like the fact that I do that, <laughs> like what's the biology behind that? So yeah, a uh, little neuroscience curiosity that was in there. And uh, somebody could hook me into a class deeply on on the biology of sleep and dreams. Um, Pretty sure Mark's typing up an email to send you right now. I am right now. That's exactly what I'm doing. How did you know? Oh, is it that obvious? It's like, oh. I can tell. I can see the reflection in your glasses. Yeah, he's, well... Yeah. And well, the thing is, is I, I think he's going to propose taking out a part of my brain. Um, that's the, uh... <laughs> uh, I, I got, well, I, so I have like a half sheet of paper. I'm out of paper. So I'm started putting notes. On, I'm putting stickies on my computer. To, you know, a little, so. Yeah, that's good. It's good. Uh, well, we'll, uh, you know, we could, we could have a, a you know, an NABT conference pr- proposal for, for 2024. Perfect. Um, <laughs> we'll have a whole curriculum lined up for that. All right, so uh, let's let's talk about this word phenomena. And I, I not to pick on Mark for being old, but uh, I, I'm sure you're like me in the sense that like I taught for all these years and I never used the word phenomena or phenomenon in my teaching at all. And then all of a sudden, boom! This word came out of nowhere. I don't even remember when it happened. I feel like it was like a decade ago. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it, like. 
everybody started using it and it was like now there's websites dedicated to it and it's like it, like you can you know just google image searches of them and people started running workshops it was I, I feel like it had to do with coming out around the time that ngss was being launched but uh, honestly before ngss was launched i never heard this term and i heard other terms that you know i think are interchangeable but aren't quite the same thing so i am curious um you know how do you define these terms and 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 do you use any of these in your curriculum and and so Tanea, when you hear the word phenomena or scientific phenomena what does it mean to you in terms of your teaching when i am and i didn't look up any terms on the computer or anything like that so uh no googling yeah i didn't google anything but um i think of that term it's something that a person wants to explain and it causes them to ask questions. So if you see like a video clip of something happening, for instance, you might be like, oh my gosh, that was like mad crazy. Why did that happen? And you're going to be like all excited and you want to want to talk to the kid next to you about it. That's what I think. <laughs> um, but it, it could be something, it, it could be something really, 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 really simple that you, something that you just have in front of you that you you are like, how does that work? It could be a question. I've asked kids questions and there's questions that can get the whole class fired up and really um, excited. And, and Paul Anderson, I think he, he um, definitely talks about uh, using phenomena in classrooms. I think he has a YouTube video on it or two mm -hmm. or three or four. Um, <laughs> but that's how I think of it. And, and I don't, I wouldn't say that. Yeah, that's how I think of it. All right. I think that is a that is a very uh, appropriate place to start. That's a that's very much there. Uh, Mark, how, how about you? Uh, what do, how do you define a scientific phenomenon and and how do they come up when you're teaching? So I like to kind of uh, kind of along with what Tanae was saying, um, you want something that's going to cause curiosity. You really want something that's going to allow students to ask questions about whatever it is that they're observing, right? So they're either watching a video, it's a still shot, you're doing a lab in front of them or whatever. And it's, it's something that uh, um, I will just keep coming back to, um, you know, I think, uh, yeah. And one of the things, so Aaron re referring to my, my youth, uh, you know, the, the idea of Madeline Hunter and, uh, the hook, she would talk about, you know, we're going to set the table with some kind of hook or, uh, uh, discrepant events, you know, those types of things that are really gonna like make, make students go, huh? And, and so I think that's that's how I define a phenomena. I'd like to keep referring to them. If we, I usually start a unit with some type of phenomena. Again, it's a video, it's a picture, uh, it's a lab, and then I just keep we keep going back to it, right? We're going to refine our understanding mm -hmm. of it. And I think if you have a good phenomena, that kind of goes along with like you mentioned earlier, the NGSS kind of storyline kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's this discrepant events is the, is the term that I, I think was the first way I thought about it. Yeah. Um, when that, that phrase disappeared, um, phenomena, I think replaced yeah, that term. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's more visceral. Maybe it, maybe, maybe it means more things to more, it's less jargony. Um, or that's just the thing we now say. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know which one of those two is true. <laughs> probably a little of both. Or, yeah. Probably a little of both. All right, Jess, how, how about you? Uh, how do you define scientific phenomena and, and how do they come up in your classroom? Yeah, so you kind of said, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it was about a decade ago, because I think I started teaching right when phenomena became a thing. Um, because I remember hearing the word and being like, okay, we all do this. Why are we now we have to call it this now <laughs> type of <laughs> type of thing, which um, is, is fun to see happen. Uh, but I, anything <laughs> phenomena... I've always linked to engagement, anything that gets the yes. kids engaged in, in science, like I, what Tanae and Mark both alluded to was um, anything that inspires inquiry. Um, and I think it's important to recognize that sometimes phenomena is, it's not 
what you always intend it to be. You know, you could say a random <laughs> fact or a random question off the top of your head, or there's something in the news that pops up and um, that might be something that triggers the discussion. And maybe you didn't intend to spend a whole bunch of time on it, but if the kids are really interested in it, and it relates to a concept that you are going over in class, then why not? And kind of to go off to the side a little bit here. Um, I think that's why I'm really scared with some of the legislature that's come into play lately. I know Missouri's got house bill 2008 right now, which is um, saying, you know, we have to have our, all our lesson plans uh, available and what we're going to do. And if we have any guest speakers and at the beginning of the year, and that, that really scares me because I, we can't have as much fun with that phenomena aspect. You know, if I, I, I see stuff the week of all the time that I'm like, Ooh, I want to do this in my class. I get crazy ideas that I want to follow up on. And sorry, I'm going off on a little bit uh, diagonally of what we were talking about, but I, it just kind of, I know that's something that mel- multiple States are going through. And that's why those kind of scare me. Cause that's, it changes that engagement, that magic um, a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a totally fair thing to say. It's it's uh I mean, it's big beyond regressive. Uh it it is it is an external view of control of education that you know is not only draconian, it is it's not the way classrooms are run. Like, you know, if if you if you think that students just sit in a room and are filled like an empty vessel with right. content, yeah then that law is seems like it's a perfectly reasonable thing to roll out. But one, that's not how education works. Uh, <laughs> and, and two, if that's the way your education works, you've got bigger laws to pass than <laughs> trying to control how teachers are, are rolling their curriculum. Um, so, I mean, that, that's the case. And you're right. It is, it, it is a, it's, it is chilling. And I think, unfortunately, it's, I think it's intentionally chilling. Um, I think it is intended to, um, it is controlling, intentionally controlling. Um, but you're right. I think that it, it would pre- create the onus on you to then, if you were to create a phenomena or one that was planned, but the kids are really interested and curious about something else and they're very excited about that, are you then going to violate the law and ignore their wonder, ignore their curiosity because it's not in the script? Uh, that's That's pretty awful. Yeah. So, yeah, I, uh, I, I very much feel for you. And I think, um, I, I don't know the answer. I, I wish, I wish I had an answer to that. Uh, there are going to be plenty of teaching opportunities in Massachusetts. I, if you want to, if you want to pay much, much more to live, um, and you want to deal with much colder weather, um, <laughs> or, or just come over to the boarding school side with me and have free housing. Yeah. We're just going to have to have some conversations after this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think that that's, it's, it's going to be interesting because um, the, 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 it is almost as if these laws are being written in a world where the, the states that pay really well are not about to undergo a massive teacher shortage because I got to tell you what, there are going to be teacher shortages in Connecticut and New, New York and New Jersey and Massachusetts. Um, and yeah. You make a lot more money teaching in those states than you do in most parts of the country. Um, California too. Yeah. You know, California pays their teachers pretty well, and they're about, they're going through teacher shortages as well. So it's it's brutal to teach, and um, you know, it's it's almost as if there are forces that have been historically opposed to public education, and they're now passing laws uh, and taking advantage in order to drive a death knell into the public education sphere. But I am going to shift gears before I get. <laughs> Sorry. My soap, my my no 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 my my soapbox gets. I have I have a uh, I have two choices. I could step off of this stop soapbox or get on my taller one. So I'm just gonna step off. I'm gonna step off the the current soapbox that I'm starting to mount. Uh, and I'm gonna get back on the question, which is the idea of phenomena. And uh, the idea is, I agree with you guys. It's something that is a hook. And I also think that having sort of a either a mystery or a story that needs to unfold, it seems to be the key thing for me. But you're right. It has to have a hook them in. But it's not just enough to be a hook. So, like, you could show them something that's really cool that has a very simple answer. Like, you could show them, like, a magic trick. Like, a magic trick could be a hook, but there might not be any underlying science behind it. 
So it's got to have that hook, but then there has to be some, like, a story or a mystery or a chain of events that are that led into that like so you see this like weird organism that lives in this particular area and then the question is like well why do these organisms look the way they do and there's a broader story about that ecosystem that are going to play in at there or there's been a change from this type to this type and there's a broader story that you could then explore and and unfold to help deconstruct that story Um, those are the sort of the things that i'm thinking about and i often struggle about this in terms of like how how do you have a if you have a content goal how to how to get a hook that will lead into that content right. Right. And, and and how do you shape that right. and and there are examples that are out there but there's a it's it's very uncomfortable when you have not taught that way for years and years and years and to say all right well i have these curricular goals and we're in, in this unit we usually talk about these things so how do I get a hook to do that versus what are like 10 really cool things that we could talk about and what are the stories that would naturally align there and go to more of a storylining view? And I will tell, having talked to many colleagues, there are some people who are deeply uncomfortable with resequencing their course into unknown hooks, mm. starting with a hook and not knowing where it's going to go, mm. but then somehow trusting that they're going to address all the stuff they're supposed to address mm. is a deeply uncomfortable space for a lot of teachers. Sure. So, um, I, I appreciate that. All right, so let's uh, let's talk about this. And and uh, do you think about phenomena having to be something that is part of the students' lives um, before you introduce them to it? In other words, do they have to have a, a a foundation in this this hook or this story before you get into this? Um, uh, Jess, what are, what are your thoughts about this? Do they have to know something beforehand? I think it's okay if they do, but I, I like it more personally if they don't. Um, I think it inspires. I, I mean, as long as it's still something that you know to be uh, engaging, um, mm-hmm. and which takes testing, honestly, you know, you, and you got to <laughs> read that off of your kids, but um, it, it's totally okay for it i think it's more fun if it's something that completely astonishes them and brings out curiosity and sometimes reaches out to the kids who don't want you to reach out to their don't want you to engage them but then you trick them into learning something about science i i love that um so like uh and, and then also i like doing things like that not just for like introduction of content i feel like we talk about phenomenon being being something used to like introduce a concept, but a lot of times I'll use it to keep the interest going. Um, if it's a concept that's particularly tricky and you have to treat, you have to teach it for an extended period of time, then um, sometimes you can kind of like put it in the middle there and, and have them apply what they've learned and then evolve it to where you want them to go um, using that phenomenon. So something I like to do with that is we, we learn about the eye and my human body systems class. And I've started putting, um, bringing in the comic of the, the mantis shrimp. Uh, why is my, why is the mantis shrimp my favorite animal by the oatmeal? Um, because it, it's, it's funny animation or it's a, it's funny drawings and stuff, but it also does a really good job of talking about, um, how cool they are. And then it talks about their rods and cones and what they do. And, and it just kind of inspires more questions in them. And then the students get really upset when they uh, know that there's colors that they can't see. <laughs> Yeah, they they could have sixteen cone, uh, sixteen color receptive cones. Yes, not just the three. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can see how that would be there. All right. Well, it's uh, it's an interesting idea. I'm gonna, like see see how everybody feels about this idea of the 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 local. Uh, how important is it to be local? So, uh, Tanea, how about you? Do you think the phenomena have to be something the students? Um, have to be part of their lives beforehand or, or, you know, I remember you talking about in our previous episode about the idea of having them reflect on biology and race. And there was a deep identity piece to that. Uh, clearly that is something you do use, but could it be something that's brand new for them or, or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I don't think it has to be uh, something that the, like maybe that you see as a teacher, that's part of the student's lives before you introduce it. Um, I think anything um, can get kids excited, get kids exciting, excited. And um, sometimes I think we don't realize that kids are really 
at least like 14 year olds and 15 year olds, maybe 16 year olds too. They're still like trying to be cool. And um, they're in this phase in their life where they are trying to act like they're not excited about what's happening. <laughs> now the 14 year olds are better at like hiding that they're excited. Um, I mean, they're, they're worse at that. They can't hide it. They like all the excitement just bubbles over. And that's why I like teaching um, ninth grade. But a lot of the kids still have a lot of excitement and questions about a lot of things. So I don't really think it matters what it is. And if it is something that is deeply connected to like all the kids in the class, I think that just makes it even that much more interesting, but it could be either way. All right. Hey, Mark, how about you? What, what do you think about local phenomena? Uh, does it have to be or can it be something outside? Well, I don't think it necessarily has to be uh, something local. So, so, for example, I use myself as a phenomena. Um, <laughs> how does this man stay in the classroom so exactly. long? Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No, so, so I, I'm 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 red green colorblind, and so it's a great tie-in. You know, as soon as I I, I throw up those, uh, you know, the dot tests, you're supposed to be able to see numbers in, and kids are shouting out numbers, and I'm like, nope, got nothing there. You know, until you get to, until you get the one that's like. It has just two colors in it, like gray and orange or something like that. Oh, yeah, 27. <laughs> I can see that. And so, you know, their first question is always like, what color am I wearing, Mr. Peterson? You know, it's like, well, I'm pretty sure that's red since those are our school colors and you have a red sweatshirt with the emblem <laughs> of a knight on it. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Um, but anyway, I, I do think uh, – you've all said the same thing, something to get kids excited about it and, and really um, make them curious. I don't think it has to be uh, something um, local, you know, for example, if you were doing a unit on uh, invasive species, uh, I, I would think it'd be more appropriate for Minnesota to talk about uh, zebra mussels because we have so many lakes that are now, you know, it's, it's, it's an economic issue. And I think that, you know, things like that probably, you know, it depends on what you're talking about, but um, I, talking about zebra mussels in Minnesota would be an appropriate uh, phenomenon because it affects so many of our students, not, not only because mm -hmm. they live in the water all summer long, um, but uh, it, it just is such a big part of legislation. It's a big part of the economy. Um, so mm -hmm. I think, I think you can pick and choose, but I don't think it necessarily has to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I can, I could also see now that you have got to bring the mantis shrimp in. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like in a superhero standpoint, it might be your arch nemesis. Maybe so. Like, you know, <laughs> maybe so. I, I think Jess is going to bring you now in as a phenomenon. Perfect. <laughs> I can zoom into your classroom. You're no longer a phenomenon strictly in your own classroom. Very good. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny to hear uh, this group's answers to this because I literally have been in two professional developments since January 2022 th where both of the presenters very heavily stressed having like the phenomena being local, um, which, which, um, and again, phenomenal presentations, both really good NGS presentations. And I could see my, I, my read on it was a deep discomfort <laughs> because one, it created, you know, if you think about barriers, barriers to rolling something out, it felt like an additional mm. barrier mm. to having my colleagues integrate this into their work. Like, like if you could just say like it's something that hooks the kids and has a follow up story, like just start start there, there. and yeah. then as you do it, you can realize oh these are the phenomena that are local. This is a better local phenomenon that's there. I think that's there. And now they weren't over the top. They weren't like you have to use this, but it was definitely in there. What makes good phenomena or how to choose phenomena? Early on in there, how to choose phenomena, picking something that that is part of the kids' lives, something that's local, something that relates was deeply was deeply tied in to the how to do this component. And then the other thought that I had was, oh, I teach nerds. 
Um, I teach nerds that are really easy to get excited into things, or I have a culture of my classes that I am, uh, the word that students use to describe me is he's really excited about stuff. Like I have other teachers in the building who barely know me who are like, oh, we have so-and-so in common. They say you're really excited about stuff. (laughs) So like that's kind of my reputation. So I think I might bring a degree of that, but I could see if I had a more, you know, when I had, when I had a population of students who struggled to get through the school day, kids who really like were not your traditional academically minded students, how having something that hooks them in there might be a greater barrier to getting in there and then having a local phenomena something that they've seen in their lives something that ties them in you know i think of my first place i taught which was a a fairly rural community where like first day of hunting season they weren't a whole lot of 17 or 18 year old boys in that school you know um so but bringing in something that has to do with deer and deer hunting and and making that make, make realizing the local phenomenon to bring them into the biology class that would make sense. Um, if I brought in a hunting example with my students, like <laughs> it doesn't resonate with them. Uh, they don't hunt. There's a lot of vegetarians. Uh, there's, there's not like, like unless they're hunting like for deals at Whole Foods, they're not going to be able to relate <laughs> to what the phrase hunting uh, means when it comes to getting food. So I think knowing your population is really important. And then knowing where there are topics that may be more challenging for them to to engage with material and then bringing in that local stuff at that point or something that's just extra exciting. Going local seems like that in terms of phenomena seems really, to me, it feels, I don't know, for lack of a better word, icky. <laughs> like it's, it's kind of, <laughs> it makes me feel uncomfortable just because at what point are you not necessarily going local? You're just appealing to the majority, right? Like, and that's, that doesn't seem okay because then you're missing out on, I, I mean, like if you, you know, you're talking about your rural school, but then like Tanea's whole amazing project where she introduced it with questions about uh, race in the last episode. I mean, those could count as phenomenon, but those wouldn't necessarily be local in places, but that doesn't mean that they're any less important, Right. So it's, I don't know. I, that's, yeah. And maybe, a, maybe local's the wrong, maybe the local's the wrong word. The, the, the phrasing was, it has to be something that has meaning to the kids or part of their lives. Mm-hmm. So I think that that one would definitely be part. Right. And I think the reason I brought local in, because I was thinking about like, you know, like if I picked a, you know, like, like Mark, if I picked an invasive species that was like, you know, like ravaging the Pacific Northwest rather than an invasive species that was in the Northeast, like, why am I picking? Because somebody wrote a curriculum. I think right. that the the foundation of it was like somebody wrote this storyline curriculum and it has to do with invasive species in Puget Sound. Right. So I'm just going to take that off the shelf and I'm going to run with that with my students. Right. But my kids, especially, you know, like if you taught and I've taught in like, you know, Boston Harbor area and I taught with kids there. If I picked that with the kids in Bo- who, who live, you know, you know, in Boston, they wouldn't know what the species are. Right. They don't know what those waterways are like. So why would I pick this thing that's like in this other part of the world? I should pick something that, particularly if it's kids who don't traditionally do well in class, like make it something that they've seen in their lives that they can see locally that's there. Um, at the same time, I don't think that I'm comfortable being that reductive to it because sometimes there's like, my kids may never see a mantis shrimp in their life, but that may be the kind of thing that with my population of students, they could then relate. And then you believe it or not are tying it to their local because they're thinking about what they see. So even though that's not a local phenomenon, it becomes local because you can talk about what they see and how they perceive and that sort of stuff. So it's gotta be something that relates to them internally even if the phenomena is happening somewhere else in the world. Um, so I think you, I think it's that, that balance. Um, but it's something I was been grappling about because literally they were like, pick local phenomena was the language in one of them. And I, I think local has to be, I I'm, I'm grappling with that. And I think that's the terminology that I'm using. Like, how do I use that? Um, and I think it, you're right. It has to be something that isn't too reductionist, but something that can, this is a hook, you know, if I pick a cool phenomenon, but it's not a cool phenomenon because they can't relate to it, then, you know, I got to, I got to knock that barrier down. So, um, all right, well, let's, uh, let's take a look at, I think this is our, uh, our last one, which is the fun one. Like, um, 
what what's one of your favorite phenomena? And I realize this is could be like super ended open ended, and I will not require you to be uh, specifically local. Um, <laughs> it could be anything that could connect to the kids' lives. Uh, and uh, and so, Mark, uh, let me get my notes out because I this relates to yours is going to relate a hundred percent to a unit I'm already writing for next year. So, uh, <laughs> what what's one of your favorites? Well, what am I? Uh, first of all, uh, when it comes to a phenomena, I'm not above. Um, along the lines of discrepant events, I'm not above lying to students to get them engaged. <laughs> and so there's this, uh, it's, it's been on YouTube for, oh, uh, eight, 10 years now. It's, it's a commercial, but it plays out as these young men in Europe um, engaging in what they call liquid mountaineering. And so the idea is that they're going to figure out how to run on the surface of water. Um, and so they, 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 they wake up in the morning, you see these guys groggy having breakfast and they're driving to a lake. It, um, and then they fail a few times. And in the middle of the, in the middle of the video, there's, there's a product placement. And unless you know, it's there, you, you don't even notice it because it's <laughs> such a great story. And then eventually the, the, these guys are sprinting across the surface of this lake. And at that point in time, my kids are like, they're lying. I've tried that. You know, again, I live in Minnesota. Every kid at a pool or a lake or wherever at the beach, they've tried to run on the surface of water and they failed. And I'm like, well, here it is. It's right here. We're watching it. And, and then we, I use this as the phenomena when we start talking about the properties of water and, uh, and relate that to the, the, biological need and all the unique properties that water has. And so that's, that's one of my favorite phenomena. Um, when it first came out, uh, I think it was Mythbusters that, you know, immediately, uh, you know, peeled back the, peeled back the curtain, but that was a long time ago. And my students don't find that nearly as quickly now um, as uh, they did early on. Yeah, I was I was actually thinking immediately about that MythBusters um, uh, link, so I could see that that would be so much fun. It I don't know if you ever do the um, do you ever do like a water Olympics, like how many drops sure. of water you can put on a yeah. penny and stuff like yeah. that. So I could see like this being part yeah. of this could be a cool phenomena if you're getting into some of the water dynamics, water biology yep. stuff like yep. that. Um, yeah, cool. All right, uh, Jess, how about you? What's one of your favorites? Um. Mark reminded me of one that I, I didn't list on here, but the sewer lice. Oh yeah. <laughs> sewer lice. Yeah. That, that's a great yeah. one. That's an, an oldie, but a goodie. Um, but my favorite that I'm doing currently is um, we're watching the movie and the band played on in my microbiology class. Um, and so it's about the 1980s uh, HIV epidemic in the United States. And watching it now is very different compared to watching it three years ago. Um, because at the same time, it shows how much growth we've gone to and how much growth we still have yet to do. Like there, it's, it's, it's really interesting for them to watch it. And we've had a lot of really awesome discussions with it. Um, but this year we did that kind of to wrap up, um, epidemiology and they're doing a, a project now, actually they've been working on it the past week, which I just titled an unessay and said, Hey, pick anything related to any topic explored in that movie and do something that would be equivalent to a three page essay, but I don't want an essay go nuts. And so they are doing some really cool stuff. Um, I've got a girl who's a dancer who's going to, who's creating like choreography and picking the music um, for a dance. I have um, a lot of art that's, that's being done featuring, um, you know, activists like Bobby Candle Campbell from the um, movie. Mm -hmm. I have, people who are creating newspapers and podcasts, but I don't know. It was, it was really cool to see what student choice led to in that project from that phenomenon. Neat. I often say that that, that book is the reason I'm a biologist. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> that is, I remember reading that book when I was in 
late middle school, early high school um, when it came out um, and ta taught that movie uh, when I taught bioethics for years and years and years. Um, so, yeah, Randy Schultz. I probably have like three copies of it around my house. <laughs> uh, I have a, that's a, it's a deep, a deeply personal cut for me, that, that one. And um, yeah, there's a lot about it. There's a lot in that book that is wrong, too. Um, yeah, the patient yeah. zero, the patient zero, um, uh, idea that's that's not right. That's not right from that. That are that's great, but yeah, deep. Yeah. Uh, um, I love that. Love that story and a lot of stuff. Good stuff coming from that. I gotta tell you this is you said this that it was something that uh, cut deep for you, but that um, I went to the CDC for uh, two summers in a row for that science ambassadors program that they have. <laughs> Um, which yeah. if you haven't heard about that, it's awesome. Um, but then both years they had, uh, Dr. Harold Jaffe and Dr. James Curran speak and they like showed a presentation oh. where they would show clips from the movie and then they would talk about like what really happened or didn't happen. It was incredible. Mm. Yeah. That is amazing. That's, that is amazing. All right. Uh, Tanea, what, how about you? Do you have a, do you have a particular go-to phenomena or, uh, or something that you want to draw from or uh no <laughs> but <laughs> um you know because i haven't been this has been my weird year where i haven't really been mm. in the classroom all year so off the top of my head i can't think about anything except how i talked about i i'm trying to weave the story of race into like as much as i can in my biology class because nobody um Okay, I shouldn't say nobody talks about it. I know a lot of science teachers that do actually, who they collaborate with me to, tr and we discuss how to talk about it. But a lot of other people that I've met don't do that, so I'm doing that. But have um, have you heard of this book? Um, it's called Pandora's Lab. Uh, yeah, Pandora's Lab, and it's um, stories about science gone wrong. So I started reading. Uh, some of the stories in here and I'm thinking about how I can weave those into um, discussions that we're having in class or how I could possibly use that, those stories as um, a hook. Um, and I actually, I got this book because one of the kids in my class uh, entered some contest, some writing contest, and then he won and they sent me the book. <laughs> so, um, so I'm always looking for like good stories, I'd say, or good things to, uh, interesting things to connect. But like one example I could give you talking about like uh, natural selection and evolution. I have an article about um, uh, bed bugs. Okay. And mm -hmm. bed bugs, apparently the male bed bugs like to impregnate the female bed bugs. They have really sharp, really sharp penises and they actually go through the abdomen like they stab the female bed bugs uh anyways it's pretty gross but things like that get kids really fascinated so if you just ask them like a question like how do you think the females would change in response to getting like really stabbed through the belly and getting impregnated that that's a great way to start uh uh, discussion about natural selection and see what the kids think and talk about like, why are, why are, how do things evolve the way they do? And how do things like, how do we end up with these really weird things? Like um, even like ducks, right? Like the, yeah, the, believe it or not, duck penises is, is immediately where my brain went, <laughs> <laughs> which I think says a lot about me. <laughs> So yeah, I, I don't have like a list of things, but I, I try to keep the kids interested and I try to keep them fascinated and I try to um, also keep myself interested and like try to, like if it's going to interest me and I'm going to find it fascinating, then the kids are probably going to find it fascinating too. Have you read yeah, um, Dr. Tatiana's Sex Advice to All Creation? Have you heard of that one? Yes. Mm -mm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what that reminds I haven't heard the bed bugs though. That's yeah. new to me, but they, she has a lot of like stories <laughs> like that, like except that, it's yeah. based off of a, what is it? A deer, um, is it like a deer and deer something? What the letters, the advice letters in the newspaper. Oh yeah. It's written from the species themselves. It's pretty funny. What's that called again? So what, what's that? Dr. Tatiana's sex advice to all creation. Okay. I'm gonna look that up. Mm. 
It's a fun one. Uh, oh, I see it. Uh, it's by Olivia Judson. Yeah, she was. Uh, she used to write for the New York Times. I think she's British. She's done some stuff. Uh, she has one video on the HHMI website where she talks about the history of DNA. She wears a leather, leather jacket. She looks kind of scary. She's probably. <laughs> I mean, that's what my students say. She looks really scary. Okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, one thing I'll say is that I do like there's HHMI has a lot of really good videos where you don't necessarily have to show the whole video, but you can show like a, like a, a small snippet of the video and it can start like a lot of interest in a particular topic. And then you can kind of weave some of the, the video or the other resources that they have or the data that they have through a unit. And so you can do a lot of cool stuff with them. Um, the stuff that's on biointeractive websites. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually think that my, my pick is, is probably found somewhere on the, on the biointeractive site. Um, and this is just a, a recent one yep. that's come up and it's the, uh, it's the mega plate. Yep. Um, and so for me, like as a bio nerd, yep. uh, if you've ever seen the, the mega plate and antibiotic resistance, uh, they did it in Harvard and I've seen a variety of different videos out there. Uh, but basically they, they put a bunch of E. coli out on the, on the ends and then they put a 1% antibiotic solution in the next area and then a 10% in the next area and then a hundred percent, a hundred, a hundred times concentrated and then a thousand times. And they, they just did a time-lapse and in 11 days there were bacteria that spread into that thousand um, over there. And the cool thing is that they walk through it and you can actually see the phylogenetic right. tree bridge. Yeah. They, and they, they color code it and they time-lapse yeah. it and they do all that stuff. And so it's just this, it's, it's such beautiful evolution yeah. and it's so cool, but you can actually see like the bud, like one of them bud into that next and then branch and branch and branch. And they go into that next quadrant and they do yeah. it. And I actually have seen, uh, videos about how they made it and like you know it's it's basically they made a black background so that you could see the e coli go in there and it's it's just super super cool um but uh you know it's funny i was i was talking about some of the pd i went to and um and i both uh gosh i feel like mark you must have been in one of the ones i went over the pandemic because i know that we popped into <laughs> we some were, yeah, to zoom rooms exactly. <laughs> it was a, one of the funniest things about the zoom rooms we pop in they're like oh there's yeah, mark there's yeah. <laughs> like, a, you know, aren't we supposed to be super stressed and have no extra time at 7 p.m. on a Wednesday and <laughs> we're both at a workshop? Uh, but uh, I went to uh, a, a workshop about uh, question formulation technique at some point yeah, QFT, uh, over yeah. that time. Yeah. And yeah, using that QFT. Yeah. And I, I know it came up in the podcast before. And then Paul Anderson recently brought it yeah. up. And by the way, that's the second time we've said Paul Anderson. So we can't say his name again or like Beetlejuice. He'll he'll show up. <laughs> Uh, I think so. So I think that's the only time that we're going to have to say that. Um, uh, and, and we could say Brad's name like one more time, one more time. And, or he'll we're show safe. up <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, but the, the, he showed up the when I went camping of... once. So anything's possible. <laughs> I, I believe it. I believe it. Um, he probably had a fly rod in hand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, so the idea is, is that like, you show them this and and you ask them what they what they wonder first what they notice what they're observing yep. and then you have them generate questions yep. and the thing that you'll learn if you've never gone through the process of getting the kids to do their observations you will find out that kids don't know the difference between an observation and an inference right. like if you never ask your students to write down a bunch of observations like ask them and then collect them and see what they are and you want to, you'll find a lot of them are not observations a lot of them, they're drawing conclusions. Already, yeah. Oh, this yep. is what happened. They're, they'll tell, they'll tell you yep. what happened. Yep. Yep. They'll explain what they think happened. Yep. They won't engage in the process of trying to describe things, which which is they're looking for the shortcut. They're looking for the answer at the end. They want to tell you the thing at the end, not the parts in the beginning, which is just them jumping and them wanting to get to that end. And sometimes that's right, but especially when there's something that's unknown, you can't do that. So it's it's not really training them how to really observe and also not preparing them to think in a non-linear way. So when they come across something new, if they immediately jump to, oh, this is happening, it's because of this, and they, they don't engage in the actual integral process of thinking about what they're actually seeing and what's going on, then they're going to 
they're not going to get much depth out of it. And the same thing with questions. If you ever ask your kids to write questions and you don't train them how to ask questions, you will find out that your students are not very good at asking questions, <laughs> which is the thing that I've been probably the most grappled with in the last three or four years. And I will tell you now, I'm really kind of, I'm a little bit proud of it because my kids are actually starting to get good. My, my junior and seniors are pretty good at it, but my freshmen, they're starting to figure out how to ask questions. And this is, you know, we're not talking, you know, April, May. <laughs> they're starting to get, when I ask them to, 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 to write down their observations and ask questions after months and months of doing it, after modeling it, they're now able to really do that very well. And the depth that they can get into a problem is really, really good. So when we talk about this idea, I think that we also have to be patient with our kids because they're going to be deeply uncomfortable just like I mentioned with our colleagues, my colleagues, sometimes they're going to be deeply uncomfortable with like wanting to know what the thing is they're supposed to tell you and not the exploration part of the phenomena. So, um, so yeah, I am, I'm super excited about this. I now have a, a reading list. I've got to check out uh, a, you know, interesting sex book. Um, <laughs> Maybe I should find a different way of explaining that purchase to my wife. Uh, uh, and what's then, uh, this on the, what's uh, this on the Amazon order? What's this? Uh, what, what are you listening to? What's this audiobook that you're listening to? It's, it's, it's for work. Um, um, <laughs> and then uh, I checked out the Pandora's Lab, uh, and that's also that's a Paul Offit yeah, book, and I'm I a big that. Paul Offit yeah. fan, so. Uh, that's that's a good that's good stuff. So, um, and I've been dropping uh, links into show notes uh, throughout the episode. So, oh, cool. uh, for people who want to check those out, and that leads us to the end of the episode. So, uh, thank you all for joining me. This has been uh, a joyous talk. I've really this, these talks give me enormous life. They're they're so energizing, um, and, and make it make it so much easier to like dive in tomorrow and try new things. So, so super excited. So, thanks. All right. So credits, uh, please subscribe to Life of the School of your podcast player of choice. Also get one of your friend's phones and subscribe for them as well. Um, they won't know it. Then maybe tell them that they should be listening to all the podcasts that have accumulated on their phones um, <laughs> and get them there. Uh, you can get show notes at lifeoftheschool.org. You can also get them at patreon.com slash lots. You can also chip in a buck or two a month to uh, get early releases of episodes. Also see show notes and that helps us offset some of the costs of producing a podcast. Music on this and every episode is provided by X Magicians and Jake Jenkins. And you can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Matthew Tweets or at Life of the School. You can also uh, get the Twitter handles of this panel um, in the tweet that I'm going to send out when I post this episode. So thanks all for joining us and I will talk to you soon.